Hey, podcast family, welcome back to Clinical Pearls. In this episode, we're going to tackle a subject that has some really interesting, kind of fun data. Can you call data fun? Well, I don't know. This data is kind of fun. If anything, it definitely is interesting. And I know it's going to get your attention because it's something that we do almost daily if we practice obstetrics. And that's uterine hysterotomy closure techniques, right? That's what we're going to focus on. Specifically, should we be doing a single layer closure or a double layer closure? This conversation and this debate has gone on for three decades. So hang in there because we're piggybacking on our immediate past episode where we covered uterine hysterotomy closure without decidua because the evidence-based technique seems to be avoiding the decidua at hysterotomy closure. But what about the layers? We're going to discuss this because if you're doing a double layer closure because you have to, in other words, the uterus was non-laboring and it was very thick, well, that's something completely different. You've got to reapproximate all the layers correctly. However, if you're closing all hysterotomies in a double layer closure because it seems to decrease Uh, uterine rupture risk, well, is that evidence-based? We're going to get into that in this episode. And what about the single-layer closure? Should you be locking or not locking? Yeah, there seems to be an evidence-based answer on that as well. Man, I'm telling you, the data is is, is kind of fun, it's super interesting, and it really is uh, a very soap opera-style story. We're going to cover all of that in this episode. In this episode, we're going to spend 20 years of data. We're going to start in 2002 with a controversial publication by a familiar name. Then we're going to move on to 2014. We're going to then come closer to present day with a 2020 Green Journal publication. And then we're going to land this subject with the last data review that actually came out of NICE. That's NICE, N-I-C-E in the UK, back in 2021, not all that long ago. So let's do this over 20 years span of data in this episode, single or double layer uterine closure at C-section. Let's figure that out now. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is such an interesting topic, right? Because people look at this from a variety of different approaches. One is the, the most basic is, well, how many layers do you need to reapproximate anatomy? And that really is what we should be doing. So that, that's at the heart of what we're doing here. How many layers do you need to close a hysterotomy? Well, how thick is it? That's the answer. But when you start getting kind of fancy and you start trying to relate number of layer closures to some clinical outcomes like is mesial uh, prevention or dysmenorrhea prevention or abnormal placentation or, of course, uterine rupture risk, things get a little gray. 
because it doesn't matter how many layers, how you stack the tower, right? If the foundation is shaky, then everything else you add on top of that, meaning every additional layer, kind of doesn't make any sense. What I'm trying to get at is going back to our heart uh, of the previous episode, that the foundation really is that, that approximation of the decidua without including the decidua in the malmetral closure. Does that make sense? So uh, that's why we did that first, because we've got to leave it to decidua, it seems, according to the evidence, as of September 2023, out of the hysterotomy closure, right? We approximate it, whether that's a separate stitch or just get just above that in the malmetrium where you bring the decidua together, but don't do that in an en masse closure, all right? So this is why it gets a little gray, and I'm going to show you what I mean by that in just a little bit uh, down the road in the episode, but it, it doesn't matter how many layers you put in there in terms of TOLAC success, it, it actually doesn't. Now, Hold on, because I know you go, wait a minute, I read an article that said that two-layer closure was better for TOLAC, uh, for, for, uh, for uterine rupture protection. I, I, I bet you did. But when you take a look at the conglomerate source of the data, when you take a look at everything put together into the washing machine, remember, that's why I like systematic reviews and meta-analyses, well, the outcome is a little bit different, and I'm going to explain that in a minute. Because that's exactly what NICE did nice in the UK uh, in 2021, just two years ago. Because they try to figure this out. They're like, look, we're going to try to figure this out. We're going to try to standardize this thing. Is it single layer or double layer? So at least we can be talking the same language. As it relates to clinical outcome, not as it relates to restoration of anatomy. Okay, so here's a little prep for you. If you're about to get, take your OBGYN oral boards in the U.S., and they ask you, doctor, how do you close your 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 hysterotomy? The short answer is, I, I close it well. <laughs> no, well, wait a minute. I, that does not to mean arrogant. It's not to sound arrogant, but but here's what I mean. I, I close it based on, on on the prevailing burden of evidence that we have uh, as of right now. And here's what that is: we have to restore anatomy. We can't leave any gaps. If if the if the malmetral thickness is quite thick because of a non-laboring uterus, especially obviously on, on a classical, of course that requires several layers, but I do that for the restoration of anatomy, not so much for the prevention of some kind of adverse clinical outcome because the data doesn't seem to to be that. So I've kind of already led you into where I've kind of given you a preview of where I'm leading you in this data, but, but it hasn't always been that way. Okay, because doesn't it intuitively make sense that you want a lot of layers on there, a lot of extra strength, especially if they're going to TOLAC later? I mean, that makes sense, right? Well, that would totally make sense if that was the only factor that protected the patients against uterine rupture. But it has to do with the patient's collagen status, obviously, if she's infected or not. It has to do with where exactly the incision is. Uh, It has to do with the indication for C-section. In other words, if the lower uterine segment is very, very thinned out, almost to a Bendel's band creation because of obstructed labor, uh, that automatically puts the uterus at further risk down the road because you're operating on a uterus that has distorted uh, anatomy and function with a Bendel's band, which we've talked about in another episode. So do you see how there's so many factors that to go, ah, we're going to prevent all uterine ruptures by doing this technique? I I get it. It sounds good. But is that what the data shows. And and we have to be evidence-based. So I'm going to go over this for a minute. Um, And when I said the data is kind of fun, it's because it's kind of, it's going to make you a little uncomfortable because 
we're going to cover something that is done almost universally worldwide, especially in the U.S., which is the single-layer locking suture, because you want to make it hemostatic, right? I mean, the, the hysterotomy bleeds, so it's got to be a locking suture. That, that's how I trained. Uh, that's how the majority of obstetricians trained. And, and that really came out of general surgery principles that a locking stitch is more hemostatic, and you do that on, on large you know, bleeding pedicles like the uterus. But is that necessarily a good thing when something is involuting uh, and healing in, in the immediate hours thereafter. Well, let me just tell you now, because I just I, I can't hold anything in, that, that may be problematic. Whoa, right? Did y'all get that? So a single layer locking may be problematic. Well, well then what's the answer then? <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you in this episode. So do you see how there's so much there and we haven't even gotten to any of the data yet? Man, I, I hate when I kind of, spill everything at the beginning because I just kind of laid out all the big points without walking through the history. Uh, I, I like to walk down history's timetable. So let's get back to doing that because then I lose my place. So let, so hold on to that. And now let's do it right. I'm here with one of our great, I always say great. He's all right. No, he's great. <laughs> he's just all right. He's okay. One of our fantastic residents. Uh, I got a quick question for you, Jordy. When you're doing a C-section hysterotomy closure, what do you do? Do you do two-layer, single-layer, locking, not locking? Just tell me what you do. I have not prepped you on this, right? No, you have not prepped me on this. All right, so just say it. What do you do? Um, ideally, uh, single-layer, unless if there's um, continued bleeding from the hysterotomy. And then Good we answer. Would, yeah. All right, so single-layer. But is it locking or not locking? Uh, I do locking. Okay, single-layer locking, as does the majority of the country. Oh. And we're going to address why that's probably not the right thing to do. Thanks, Jordy. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, everyone, we're going to start this discussion by going back in the day. You know, whenever somebody says back in the day, you know, we're going to go back in history, right? So let's do just that. Let's go back 20 years to 2002. Man, that's a long time ago. Yep, over 20 years ago. This publication is from an author that we already mentioned in our immediate past episode on the importance of excluding the deciduate uterine closure. That author was my former acquaintance from, quote, back in the day, Emmanuel Bujold, who is in Quebec. This was an observational cohort study of all women undergoing a TOLAC that spanned from 1988 to 2000, and it was all at a tertiary care center after a single low transverse C-section. Pretty straightforward design, right? Patients undergoing a TOLAC, and let's go back to see what kind of uterine closure they had, and then compare the rates of uterine rupture, which obviously already or are, are at, at, at a small number, at a small percentage, but let's see if this made a difference one group compared to the other. Well, remember, this is 2002. Well, this study shook a lot of things up because after adjusting for a lot of confounding variables, quote, the odds ratio for uterine rupture in women with a single layer closure was 3.9%. Yep, according to this observational study, a single layer closure was associated with a fourfold increase in the risk of uterine rupture compared with a double layer closure. Wow, that's pretty impressive, right? I mean, single layer is obviously not what to do, right? Hold on a minute. And I'm saying this for fair balance, all right? Yes, there is data that a single layer closure had an increased risk of uterine rupture. 
However, remember that a fourfold increase is, is a lot, but when the absolute number is still very small, it's still overall a very small number. And there's severe criticisms to my friend's publication. All right, I'm going to get into this because there's a, this immediately sent off a couple of letters to the editor. They're like, hey, what about X, Y, and Z? And I'm going to share with those with you in just a minute. But because uh, this ruffled a lot of feathers They're like, uh, oh, no, you didn't. Wait a minute. Wait, was this locking? Was it not locking? Did it include a decision? Did it not? Were they infected? Uh, what was the, uh, the basis? What was the clinical picture of those uterine ruptures? You see all of these things that go into it. You can't just go, oh, you had a uterine rupture. Now let's go back and see how you closed it. Because there are a lot of factors that have to be taken into account. And yes, they can try to control for some confounding variables, but some things they did not. And I'm going to explain those coming up here because this formed the basis of the criticisms, which triggered the letters to the editor. One of those letters was uh, sent and published by my former attending when I was an intern. That was Dr. Mike Lucas. Mike Lucas was MFM faculty. Man, I, I, I admired this guy. I mean, this guy was brilliant. He was also, uh, as a intern i thought he was kind of scary i mean just because he knew his stuff so so well uh and he was just so hardcore he was great mike lucas my goodness uh anyway he fired off one of these letters to the editor so let's put this into perspective because a fourfold increased risk of uterine rupture with a single layer closure um has some things that need to be explained so that's a good segue now let's take a look at the criticisms of of, my, of poor emmanuel bujol the end a friend of mine uh but man they, they kind of threw him under the bus with these critiques that were well very well justified many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One of the letters to the editor that was published in response to the Bujo publication is something that brings up a, a, a topic that Bujold is so passionate about, which is not including the decidua. And, and oddly enough, that's really not uh, described or, or well stratified for or accounted for in his, in his observational study. So as Dr. Mike Lucas and the other author wrote in the first letter to the editor in response to that publication, quote, Observing an association between single-layer closure and uterine rupture in subsequent labor, Bujol et al. hypothesize that the pathophysiologic mechanism of defective healing is related to inadequate coaptation of the individual tissue layers and that the second layer would provide additional strength. Their findings may relate to the old teaching that the decidua should not be included in the closure, although this technical aspect was not studied by them. End quote. Did y'all catch that? So in other words, they're saying, hey, I get the thought that, ooh, you had a double layer, it's, it's extra strength. But is it? I mean, and you didn't really account for uh, if that layered closure included the decidua or not. Now, it's assumed that they didn't included this as well because he's a big proponent of not doing it, but he didn't do all of those sections, right? This was just looking back at all the women who underwent a TOLAC and had subsequent uterine rupture. 
So the big criticism, oddly enough, for somebody who has a big proponent of not including the decidua, that actually wasn't well described in that observational study. Now, there's a separate letter to the editor, which was published by another author, which was uh, Krushank. And in this second letter, the author um, was very critical about that single-layer closure, right? Remember, single-layer closure was associated with a fourfold increased risk of uterine rupture, although the absolute number was still small. Um, and Krushank, in this letter to the editor, said, hey, um, I'm, I'm kind of concerned about this because the the way that this single layer closure was done was a single layer locking suture. Ooh, I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. What's wrong with that? I mean, everybody closes in a single layer locking, right? I mean, that is the traditionally the most common way to close a hysterotomy. Well, this letter to the editor goes through the data that, yeah, that's actually probably not the best way to do it because you strangulate a lot of tissue. And that could actually lead to weakening the, the myometrium. Wow. Now, we're going to get much more data into that in just a minute because I know that ruffled a lot of people's feathers because it was like, oh, no, you didn't. Wait a minute. <laughs> we always use a single layer locking. That's what you're supposed to do. Uh, actually, the original studies showed that it was running non-locking. And then we extrapolated a lot of that stuff from general surgery that a locking suture is more hemostatic. And the reason that the locking is probably not needed is because the immediate uterine contraction also has a role to decrease blood supply, so the locking is probably not needed. But wait, I'll get into that in a minute. So you see the first criticism is, hey, nice paper, fourfold increase with single layer closure. Did that include a decidua or not? Because that's a variable that wasn't well described. The second issue is, well, the single layer, most of those were single layer locking, which we know we can weaken the myometrium. So that's a criticism. And then the third criticism uh, of this study was, hey, you didn't really take into account or didn't really describe well the interpregnancy intervals. Because we know that short interpregnancy interval is a risk factor for uh, uterine rupture in and of itself. So that needed to be further analyzed in the sub-analysis. Did y'all get that? So those are the th- three big criticisms of the 2002 Bujold observational study that a single layer closure was associated with a fourfold increased risk of urine rupture. That was the headline that made all, I remember that, uh, that made all of, you know, the OBGYN news and, and all of the new commentaries that, ooh, single layer closure is uh, probably not the way to go. Uh, but was it? I mean, those are three big issues there that weren't well addressed. Did it include a decision or not? These, the majority of these were running locking, which we know likely is not the best. And what about interpregnancy interval that really should have been strub, uh, substratified for less than six months, six months to 12 months, 12 to 18. So anyway, not my rebuttals. Those are all rebuttals that have been published through letters to the editor. And of course, we'll include those references in our reference list. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, okay, great. So they're kicking me out of my little room to change some panel. It has to be done right now. Is that the deal? Okay, so I'm going to the hallway. So enjoy the nice and terrible audio because I'm sure there's going to be an echo in there. 
Can you believe this? I'm just trying to finish this darn thing. I'm going to, now I can't finish in one city. Now I'm going to have to do it in the middle of, I've got my daughter's volleyball game. I'm sure I'm going to have to be a little late to that because why wouldn't I be? Son of a. All right. So we just covered 2002 with my buddy, Emmanuel Bujold from Quebec. And remember he said, ooh, single layer closure potentially increases your risk of uterine rupture compared to double layer closure. Even though that study had issues, we already covered that. Yada, yada, yada. And one of the nice things about medicine, and I love this, is that the data always evolves and your opinion evolves. And I love that. To have the humility to go, ooh, back in 2002, here's what we found, and I'm not moving from my stance. But then to be able to change it as the data evolves, that's a sign of a good, not only physician, but a good researcher. And that's exactly what Emmanuel Bujold and his then protege, Stephanie Robergi, did in 2014. So check this out. So October 2014, that same author, Emmanuel Bujold, and his protege, Stephanie Robergi, published an editorial in the British Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology that was really in response to a separate meta-analysis on the same subject, okay? So they were doing a commentary on a meta-analysis on single versus double layer closure and, and listen to the tone of Stephanie Robergi and Emmanuel Bujold now, 12 years fast forward from their original publication, all right? And I love this. So here's what they say, quote, Hesselman et al. has observed a similar rate of uterine rupture in women with a single layer compared to, to women with a double layer closure at previous cesarean section, end quote. So let's stop there for a minute. So now they said, hey, according to this meta-analysis, what? It doesn't make any difference. Now hang on to that because for uterine rupture risk, and I'm just giving you a little prelude to what's coming uh, when we cover the 2020 publication. Yeah, that does not actually decrease the risk of uterine rupture. So just to be clear, so they gave that little snippet, that little quick synopsis of the reviews by Hesselman et al. But then Robergi and Bujol go on to say, quote, this finding is in agreement with a recent meta-analysis showing no significant difference between the two types of closure and uterine rupture, end quote. How about that? So they said, yep, pretty much meta we have our data in 2002 that showed, showed, showed a difference on our single site observational study. But when you take a look at the meta-analysis and systematic reviews, it doesn't make a difference. So there's your spoiler, because that's exactly what we're gonna find in the standardizing C-section publication in the Green Journal in 2020, that yeah, if you're trying to decrease the risk of uterine rupture at TOLAC, double layer closure is not the way to do it. Oh, and as an aside, you see, that's why I like meta-analyses. I've said it all the time, right? You can take one individual, publication, and that's good to know, but that's one data point. So Bujold, if that's all we had in 2002, that observational study looks like, yeah, double layer closure is the way to go. But then with the accumulation of data and in the systematic review and meta-analyses, it doesn't make a difference, okay? So well, again, we're going to get, well, I'm kind of getting ahead, but that's exactly where the, the rest of the data is going to show. All right, everybody, but hold on, because there's more to that. In this mini commentary, remember we talked about locking versus not locking, and in here's the big stinker in the whole thing, okay? So they go on to say, quote, the meta-analysis suggests that a locked single-layer closure, see, that's what Jordy said that they do. That's what everybody does, single-layer single locking suture. But listen to this, quote, 
The meta-analysis, the meta-analysis suggests that a single layer locking is actually increasing the risk of uterine rupture because of a weakening of the myometrum due to myometrial strangulation. How about that? So why didn't we learn this? I don't know. <laughs> because it just feels, it makes us feel so much better to do a locking suture, right? But the uterus probably doesn't need that. Now, if you're bleeding, that's a different issue. You can put it in a figure of eight because uh, you got to control the bleeding. But it, based on the data, we're going to get into this a little bit more as we continue on, a single layer locking suture probably is unnecessary. So they go on to say, quote, it seems that a single layer unlocking suture provides the best tensile strength and the best chance for myometrial healing, end quote. All right, everybody. So now that we're leaving 2014, let's take a quick break. And then we're going to come back to 2020 with a publication from the Green Journal that was, we actually did this as Journal Club. It's called Ways to Standardize a C-Section. And they have something to say about uterine closure. So let's get into that next. All right. So where were we? Let's see. We did 2002. We did 2014. Now we are jumping six years ahead to 2020 in the Green Journal. This is a publication whose first author is Joshua Dalk. Dwight Rouse was also on this publication. Dr. Rouse has been around forever. Super, super well published. Uh, a foundation in obstetrics and gynecology, Dwight Rouse. So Dr. Rouse, thank you for all of your contributions. Uh, just amazing how much stuff you put out there. All right. So this is the Green Journal's publication that addressed the case for standardizing cesarean section technique. And if you think about it, right, one of the most common surgeries, not just in the country, but in the world, and everybody does it differently. I mean, it's kind of weird. We should have one way of doing it. The problem is uh, people are people, people like the way they trained, and there isn't a lot of data that uniformly, obviously, super uh, well-established says that one way is better than the other. Because a lot of the results on on ways to do the section are like, nah, they're kind of comparable. And, and that's the idea here, uh, especially in, in regards to uterine rupture between single and double layer closure. So let me explain what I'm talking about. So of course, they start from the skin incision uh, and then to delivery of the child, to placental delivery, and then closing the layers on the way out, all right? So they go in from entry to closure. But I want to focus, of course, on what we're talking about here, which is the uterine closure portion. So I'm going to read this excerpt from that 2020 publication, but basically here's what they did. They took a look at all of the studies, whether it was single layer, double layer, uh, or locking or not, and, and here's what they have to say. Quote, optimal uterine closure remains one of the most studied and controversial aspects of cesarean delivery. Yeah, they got that right. 11 additional RCTs and four systematic reviews have been performed since the previous review. They go on to say, two RCTs were also performed comparing barbed suture compared with standard suture for uterine closure. In addition to single compared with two-layer closure, a distinction is made in some RCTs regarding locked or unlocked suture technique. All right, so let me stop there. All right, good. So right now you're thinking, all right, it's exactly what we're talking about, one or two-layer closure, locked versus not. All right, so here's what they say. Quote, primary outcomes vary between operative time, blood loss, and postpartum ultrasound measurement of residual myometrial thickness. Listen to this, guys. Quote, 
These studies suggest that two-layer closure, in particular, when the first layer is closed in an unlocked fashion, likely results in the thickest residual myometrial thickness. All right, so you're like, well, wait a minute. That said two-layer closure is better. That gives you a thicker myometrial thickness when you check it later, like at six months with ultrasound. And it does. But they go on to say, here's, here's the catch and here's the kicker. Quote, this finding is not clearly associated with any clinical benefits. End quote. Did y'all catch that? So if you ever ask, well, which one makes the uterus just look better? And which one gives you a thicker residual myometrial thickness if you look six months later with ultrasound? Oh, that's two-layer closure. No question. The, the issue is, does that translate to any improved clinical outcomes? And the answer is no. So just because it looks better, becomes thicker with a two-layer closure, that doesn't translate to any clinical utility. So they go on to say, quote, the strongest clinical relevant data regarding single or two-layer closure is from the three-year follow-up of the Coronis trial. That's a big study, guys, a Coronis study. They go on to say, of the original 9,200 women randomized to single or double-layer closure, about 1,600 women in each group had subsequent viable pregnancies within three years. In those with single-layer closure of the uterus, only five of that group had uterine rupture or scar dehiscence compared with four in the two-layer closure group. In other words, five versus four was not statistically or clinically different at all. So the take-home was, quote, single-layer uterine closure is the recommendation according to these authors in this way of standardizing C-section technique. Y'all get that? So according to 2020 in the Green Journal, based on the data up to that time, single-layer uterine closure was the way to go. But notice they didn't actually say locked versus not. They stayed away from that. It was implied based on the rest of the text. So do you need to do a two-layer closure? Well, if you need to close and restore anatomy, absolutely. Do you need to do two-layer closure? Well, if you have bleeding, yes, make it hemostatic. But do you need two-layer closure to improve some sort of clinical outcome in the future? It doesn't seem to make a difference, okay? And even though the recommendation is just, quote, single-layer uterine closure, end quote, it seems that according to the data that that would be a single-layer unlocking continuous suture. All right, we are moving along to 2021 and the review by the NICE in the UK. All right, everyone, remember that NICE stands for the National Institute for Health and Care Excellence. Oh my goodness, I just have to share this with you. So we're trying to finish up this episode and just a couple of moments ago, a ping, I get a little ping on our Facebook Messenger app and uh, it's a physician in Australia. Now, uh, I do have a, a contact in Australia who's become a, a Facebook friend. Uh, and and I've just, I've, I've loved the conversations that I've had with Steve, who's from Australia. And yes, I call him Steve from Australia. <laughs> we just exchanged a couple of messages uh, just recently. And, and I love that. I love how this community comes together. Well, I received another message from Australia from Mink. So Mink is the OBGYN. Um, she's a physician over there. She said, look, I, I just have to tell you, I feel so vindicated. This is in her message, right? I feel so vindicated because I've, I've always uh, avoided the decidua. Uh, and when I do ultrasounds, it just looks great. I don't see the niche defect. And so vindicated. Absolutely right. She's right. I mean, this is exactly 
why we do this episode and we, we do this podcast. Guys, let me just tell you. Um, I mean, it's like 8 p.m. Central Time in Texas. But we have this commitment to do this. Yes, I do have a life. I do have a family. I just got back from my daughter's volleyball game. Uh, but this is why this is important to me. This makes me feel just so, so good that we can reach out across the globe. So um, Steve from Australia. Now I have another contact in Australia, uh, which is Mink. So thank you, Mink, for sending that that wonderful message. You are right. Please pass down pass that down to, to those that are uh, under you in, in training. And she said, look, you know, when I do these ultrasounds, it looks great. The tissue looks healthy. It's nice. It's thick. That's fantastic. But more important than, than those layers like we just talked about that gives it that thickness, it all has to do with what she said. It all has to do with avoiding that decidua. So, Mink, anyway, thank you so much for your message. You are absolutely correct uh, in what you're doing. Avoiding the decidua gives that healthy, just good texture healing uh, and good wean- wound healing uh, to that hysterotomy. So good for you. All right, now let's get back to NICE. See, this is one of the many reasons why my team gets so frustrated with me. They're like, I'm out of here. If we're not finished in 15 minutes, I'm out. I'm going to finish in 10 minutes. How about that? Then you guys have to put it together and put it out live. Uh, <laughs> Mike is one of our sound engineers and God bless him. All right, let's get back to business. All right, so the UK, right? Nice. In March of 2021, the same thing that Dalk in 2020 tried to do here in the US through that Green Journal publication, well, Nice wanted to do the exact same thing, all right? So they have their March 2021, their evidence-based review on cesarean birth and the title, Techniques to Close the Uterus at Cesarean Section. Now, unlike the Green Journal 2020 publication that went through all the layers, this really just focused, y'all, just on the uterus and hysterotomy closure. Because as they go through, it's 75 pages, this entire document, but that includes a lot of references. So let me just beat it to the punch. They're like, look, everyone's doing crazy things. Uh, some people do this, or other people do that. So as, it, as they state here, the purpose of this review manuscript, again, 75 pages long, is, quote, to determine the efficacy of a single-layer closure of the uterus compared with double-layer closure at cesarean birth, end quote. That's it. So which one is better? Which one is, is going to prevent gynecological issues? Which one's going to prevent obstetrical issues in the future? That's all they're looking at. So they go through all of the data. Remember, this is just after the 2022 Green Journal publication. Um, and during that time, additional studies had come out. And so they looked at clinical things like need for subsequent blood transfusion, uh, the need for uh, additional surgical procedures. Of course, they looked at uterine rupture in subsequent pregnancies. They looked at morbidly adherent placentas in subsequent pregnancies. They looked at the need for antibiotics. So it was really good, very comprehensive, trying to find out, all right, here we go. Is it single layer or double layer? Which one is going to prevent most clinical issues in the future? All right, everyone, for sake of time, so let me just get you to the message here. Data review, data review, looked at studies, looked at studies. Uh, Is it better to do single layer or double layer? Uh, And I've got to get to the punch here, to the punchline, because Mike is going to have like his number six, what is it, six time Mike? His number six strike against me in the last two months, uh, if I don't finish. So here's the short of it. Here's what they stated, quote, as there is no difference between single and double layer closure for the majority of outcomes, this committee has agreed that either technique can be used. So let's stop there for a minute. Hey, 
If you want to do a double layer closure because you have to approximate tissue, fantastic. But is that really going to change clinical outcomes? Likely not. Why? Because what matters most isn't the number of layers you stick in there. It's how you approximate tissue. Take small bites, not huge honking bites, and avoid the decidua. That's how you get a good uterine closure. So according to the NICE guidelines from March 2021, single-layer closure seems to be the way to go, unless there's a need for hemostasis that requires uh, local focal suturing, or based on the thickness of the myometrium, that you require additional layers for appropriate tissue approximation, single-layer closure seems to be just fine in terms of future clinical issues. The important thing is, again, avoid the decidua. And regarding locking or non-locking, again, it really does come down to to surgeon preference. But if we're really going to say we're evidence-based, it seems that single-layer locking is inferior to single-layer non-locking. Well, I know it goes against what we've all been told, but that's the data. All right, everyone, let's wrap this up. All right, podcast family, we have covered hysterotomy closure in two parts. The first part covered whether we should include the decidua or not. And as Mink stated, she has been vindicated because she has not been closing the decidua, which is the right way to go. So I have two great contacts now in Australia. Steve, Mink, I think I need a vacation and I need to go down under if it wasn't so stinking far from Texas. Anyway, I absolutely love how this community comes together. Oh, on a separate note, I just received a separate message. It was, it's been a heavy Facebook night, all right? In the middle of, of middle school volleyball and trying to eat dinner with the family and finishing up medical records, yada, yada, um, from a, a friend, uh, Emmanuel, from, from Italy. So don't, you see how great this podcast community is? Y'all are great. Y'all just... It makes all of these long hours so, so worth it. So thanks for reaching out. Thanks for your support. Thanks for your encouragement. Um, And just thanks for, for being part of our community. All right, everyone. That wraps up our Clinical Pearls episode. I'm going to bed and I hope you all have a great rest of the week. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.